Welcome to Enriched Menopause, where perimenopausal and menopausal women can learn what's going on with their bodies and how to thrive during this stage and beyond. You are not crazy and you are not alone. I'm Dr. Jessica Rich. Let's do this together. Hello, and welcome back to Enriched Menopause. The New York Times has been great recently about covering issues about perimenopause and menopause. And most recently, their article, Unending Indignities of Vaginal Atrophy, had me both laughing and a little bit tearful. Basically, what the article was covering is this old medical term that is still widely in existence and used both with practitioners and with lay people and in our medical billing and coding. But the, the term that describes what's happening to the tissues around the genitals and the surrounding organs when there is a lack of estrogen in the tissue. Now, atrophy in a medical sense really just means thinning of tissue and loss of elasticity, which is what's happening. But of course, in the lay sense, it has a lot of other connotations to it, which many people find offensive, but also, as they point out in the article, is really misleading. Even the fact that they just talk about it as vaginal is a problem. For one, it can make it hard to discuss. Many people still have trouble using the word vagina, even though it is just a body part like any other, but it tends to sexualize things and make things a little bit more misleading. So while we do find that the tissues of the vagina itself are affected by the lack of estrogen, it's also the vulva, which is the external genitalia, and it's also the urethra and the bladder. So we're really missing a lot of these areas when we're using the term vaginal atrophy. The newer term is genitourinary syndrome of menopause, which of course is a mouthful, but really starts to incorporate some of these other areas. Now, the article does get into some of those funny but not so funny things about the history of medicine and that, of course, it was mostly men taking care of gynecologic issues for a very long time and labeling some of these terms, some of these old medical terms in addition to vaginal atrophy, things like incompetent cervix or geriatric pregnancy or senile uterus, which tend to have a lot more sort of offensive qualities to them and are not really quite accurate about what's going on with our bodies and with modern medicine. In addition to the language just being difficult, it also makes it so that many people are not getting the diagnosis that they need and not getting the treatment that they need. So importantly, we have to look at what types of symptoms can these issues cause, what's really going on in the body, and how can we treat it so that people can get the relief that they need. So first and foremost, this is an issue with decreasing estrogen, which definitely happens for those who are going through perimenopause and menopause as you're ovulating less and your ovaries are producing less and less estrogen over time. There's less of that estrogen going to those tissues. But it can occur at other times too. I see it in my patients and those who have been on 
prolonged low-dose birth control or sometimes progesterone-only options for birth control in those who are breastfeeding and in those who are on some sort of hormonal suppressive therapy, whether that's for breast cancer or endometriosis or other causes. So while this is most common in perimenopause and menopause, it can happen in those other circumstances as well. And particularly for those who are getting into perimenopause who may have one of those other things going on, it tends to be a little bit more pronounced. In general, when there's a lack of estrogen to the tissues around the vagina and the vulva and the urethra and bladder, there's thinning of the tissue, there's loss of elasticity, and there can be a lot of symptoms that go on with that. Many people think of this as really an issue that just affects sex, but that is so far from the truth. While it definitely can affect sex and make sex more uncomfortable and cause dryness and tearing and sometimes even bleeding with sex, it really can affect women at many other times as well. So with sitting and walking and riding a bicycle and even just wiping after you go to the bathroom. It also can make you more prone to those urinary symptoms. That's the urinary part of this genitourinary syndrome of menopause. So it can make you more prone to UTIs. So many times I'll see people who, you know, maybe never had a UTI in their life or maybe had UTIs in their 20s that they kind of got under control and now they're coming back. It also can give some urinary frequency and urgency and even some incontinence, getting up all night to pee. So there are really a lot of symptoms that don't just affect sex, but affect the day-to-day life for those who are experiencing them. I also think it's really important to understand that it really is the lack of estrogen in the tissue causing the problem. For many, that term vaginal atrophy makes them think of the sort of old school pseudo knowledge of use it or lose it. And people think that, okay, well, the problem with the vaginal atrophy is that I'm not having sex. And if I'm not having sex, things will atrophy. That's really not the issue. It's the lack of estrogen that's the problem. And it's something that can affect all of these other areas. I've had patients of mine who I've prescribed treatments like vaginal estrogen, usually for issues with the urinary tract, whether that was, you know, leakage or UTIs, and who stop using it once they stop having sex because they don't think that they need it anymore. So it's really important to have that understanding that this is affecting all of those areas. So now that we know what's going on and what it can do, it's important to know now what can we do to treat it. So the gold standard mainstay of therapy for the lack of estrogen is adding back estrogen. And this is typically going to be topical vaginal estrogen. So estrogen that you would insert into the vagina, sometimes around the vulva and the urethra as well, usually in either a cream or a suppository or a vaginal ring. There's some differences and nuances to how each of those are used, but it really is more of an area of both preference and kind of finding what works for you, particularly for those who have a little bit more symptoms externally, like around the vulva. I tend to like the creams a little bit better because they can be applied directly to that area, which can't really be done with the ring. But generally, the estrogen in the vagina, whichever form it's in, is going to help to affect not just the vagina, but the vulva, the urethra, and the bladder as well. 
Now, there are many people out there who think of estrogen as a four-letter word, that it's scary and can cause cancer and other issues. And in general, you're right. There are certain types of estrogens, particularly systemic estrogens, so ones that are meant to be throughout the body, that are taken either orally or in a transdermal, like through the skin approach. And those much higher dose systemic estrogens can increase slightly the risk of breast cancer when they're taken in conjunction with progesterone, which I would have talked about in an earlier episode about how estrogen and progesterone are important with hormone replacement therapy and can slightly increase the risk of breast cancer. But we know that estrogen alone, when taken for hormone replacement therapy and those who don't have a uterus, doesn't actually increase the risk of breast cancer. And we know that the topical vaginal estrogens are much lower dose and that very little is absorbed systemically in the body. We have good data that shows that it does not significantly change the concentrations of estrogen in the bloodstream. And we also have good studies that show that even those who have had breast cancer do not have a significant increase in recurrence of their breast cancer when taking topical vaginal estrogen. So it's a really great option for most people and it works very well. Now, of course, even though I've said that, there will be people who are still nervous about the idea of taking estrogens or who can't take estrogens either because they've had side effects or irritation. Sometimes doing a compounded estrogen can help with that, but there are other treatment options as well. We also use a DHEA type of hormone, so that's available in a suppository, and for some people, they find that that works a little bit better. The brand name in the United States for that is called Intrarosa. And then there are non-hormonal topical moisturizers. So I'm not talking about lubricants, which can be important with the sex side of things, but moisturizers that help with that thinning and drying of the tissue. So that would be things like coconut oil and vitamin E, which you can even get in a suppository. I like one called Key-E for my patients. And then things like hyaluronic acid, which have been shown to really help hold and retain moisture in, in many different types of tissue, but specifically around the vagina and vulva and urinary tract as well. These can be really helpful. These can come either in a gel or a suppository. I really like Reverie for this. It's a suppository that many people like to use and find convenient, and it does show significant improvement. And then there are other things like replens or even just natural like coconut oils and vitamin E's that you would get over the counter. For some, that's enough. For others, it's not. And then there are a few other options that we have. There are newer vaginal laser treatments, things like the Mona Lisa or the Bella V or the FemTouch and many other brands for this that basically help to kind of create a healing response in the tissue. So not adding back the estrogen, but helping to repair some of that moisture and elasticity. This is a great option for those who want to avoid estrogens or for those who find the inconvenience of inserting something into the vagina on a regular basis to be too much. 
And these treatments are very safe and typically effective. We don't have great long-term studies on this, but we do have you know, clinical experience and short-term studies that do show that these can be very safe and effective treatment options for many. And then for those who really just putting anything in the vagina is too much, there are oral medications, particularly one called Osfina which is a selective estrogen receptor modulator. So it acts like an estrogen in places that we want it to, like around the vagina and the vulva and the bladder and the urethra, but not in places that we don't want it to, like in the uterus and the breasts where we don't want too much estrogen that could lead to cancers. The bottom line is that there are many different options out there and that you do not have to suffer with this. If you're having discomfort, if you're having dryness or irritation, whether that's with sex or whether that's with just day-to-day activities, or if you're noticing more frequency and running to the bathroom to pee or getting up several times at night to pee, or you're having more urinary tract infections and more vaginal infections, it's time to have that evaluated, to see your gynecologist, and to talk about options for treating that genitourinary syndrome of menopause and getting away from that stigma of the vaginal atrophy term. If you enjoyed this episode, please subscribe to the podcast, leave us a review, and share with someone in your life who may benefit from this too. Remember that while I am a doctor, this podcast does not constitute medical advice and is for informational purposes only. Talk with your doctor about what may apply to you and your health. We'll see you on the next episode of Enriched Menopause.